If you want to open your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 19. While serving God is an easy thing in some ways, it's also a hard thing in other ways. What I mean is, serving God, if you just took Compassion International, you could serve God by sponsoring a child. It's a pretty simple thing to do. What makes it a little bit more difficult or a little bit more convoluted is some of the reasons why we serve God. So you may begin to think that if I just take this compassion child, this difficulty or this struggle that I've been having or this blessing that I need, maybe God will look upon that and he'll give me what I'm looking for. And that's where it gets a little messy because God's desire is that we would serve him because he's God for no other reason whatsoever, which is really hard. I mean, as a child growing up, you, you want to serve your parents uh, you want to do what's right. You want to listen to them because you know, at least I hope you know this, but, but you know that if you do everything right, your parents will be more willing to be giving and more willing to be gracious. In a way that as my kids are growing up now, if I can trust them now, I'll be able to trust them later with my car. Does that make sense? How many of you, if you really thought what your parents knew about you, what you did with their cars would never let you have touched their car, Right? That's where I'm at. I'm thinking to myself, if I can trust them now and they do the right things, then they're more trustworthy to get that car. And I think my daughter has a pretty good handle on playing the game, if you know what I mean. How to be nice in front of you and do all the right things in front of you. And it gets a little convoluted, doesn't it? Because my hope would be that she would understand insurance costs She would understand safety issues. She would understand respect and honor. But if we all can remember, some of us, almost 30 years plus, what it was to start driving, the fun, the excitement, the thrill. Unless, of course, you had one of those little Chevy Chevettes, then there wasn't really much excitement or thrill. But you can kind of get the idea of what it really means to drive. Serving God is very simple. Sometimes with compassion, it's writing a check, but it gets a little mixed up. When we check our motives. Let's look at this passage here in Haggai. And there's some problems here. We'll just read up to verse 14. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated and thus pure or separated for God? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person is defiled by contact with a dead body, touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. 
Well, verse 14 is kind of a hinge verse to me. What basically the Lord is saying through Haggai is pretty simple. You guys have a problem. Whatever it is that you're doing has become defiled. It's, it's not pure. It's not acceptable. It's not something that pleases me. And so it helps us understand a little bit of the first few verses that we've read. What Haggai is basically speaking as to what God is telling him to ask the priests are two sort of case studies. What he's saying is there is this consecrated bread that you put in a fold and that fold itself, because it carries this holy thing, is consecrated or separate or different or pure just because it holds the bread. However, if you were to touch that fold onto something else like a jacket, it would not become holy. So if you could imagine that I'm wearing a jacket and I have this consecrated, we'll say, Eucharist, like when we celebrate communion, and it's holding it in there, and I lay my jacket here, and Hans steps up and touches it, it doesn't necessarily mean that now Hans has become holy. Not that you're not holy, right? But that's what the Israelites were thinking was this. We have begun to rebuild the temple. The temple is holy. Rebuilding the temple is a holy work. And so if you do the math, holy temple, holy work, thus holy people. God's answer is that that's not true at all. Because holiness is not about doing something. There's the necessity of right motives, which we'll look into a little bit more so. But basically, what God is trying to tell the people is, rebuilding the temple is not a good luck charm. Now, I don't know about you, but I know myself, sometimes when I do things in serving God, my expectation is that it is like a good luck charm. My expectation is, if I'm doing what God has asked me to do, God, in turn, will do something for me. Thus, if I do this, and I do that, and I do the math correctly, God owes me something. That's the attitude, basically, of what's going on with these people. Their expectation is that because they're doing a holy work for a holy God, God will bless them. And this is a time period where the December harvest is getting ready to be put into the ground and the people are expecting something from God, but they really don't see much. But their expectation is, we have served you these four months. We've given some of the best that we have. And now, God, you need to turn around and bless us. Well, if we went back to verse 14, God says, well, that's a bad attitude. That defiles or messes up the work that you're doing. So even though you're doing something good and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but because your expectation is off, everything else is mixed up too. But he gives a second case study. And the second case study is a little bit different. It says, if a defi- verse 13, if a defiled person comes into contact with a dead body and touches one of these things, does it become defiled? The answer is yes, it does. Well, if you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, the reason that the Pharisee and the Levite walked alongside and away from the guy is because they thought he was dead and they didn't want to ruin their worship of God. So what's going on here basically is there is a defilement or a passing on of this defilement or sin. So what God is trying to tell them is this, you're looking at your circumstances, the harvest has come in. You haven't had this wonderful, excellent harvest 
And we'll get more into that. There's a reason why they haven't had this wonderful, excellent harvest yet. But you're looking at all of that. And what you need to see is that there are consequences for the wrong that you've done in the past. In other words, five months ago when you were serving yourselves and you weren't serving me, you were in the middle of the harvest. And when you finally turn back to me, it doesn't mean that instantaneously this... It doesn't mean instantaneously that this weak crop that you had is suddenly going to have some spinach and become a strong crop. In other words, if they're looking out at the wheat fields and the wheat looks a little weak and they're thinking, well, if we return back to God, this miracle is going to happen and boom, suddenly wheat's going to be all over the place. It's going to be coming out of your ears kind of thing. That's not what's going to happen. What God is saying is, listen, you're going to face the consequences of having turned away from me. So what God is dealing with for the Israelites is this sense of motives and purity as they serve God. Now think about this a little bit. What we need to realize is that purity, purity is easier to lose than it is to gain. It's easier to lose than it is to gain. Now think about this. I would expect that most of us here have clean clothes. How many of you wash your clean clothes? None of us. Okay, I won't say you said anything, Susie. But most of us really don't, right? It's we, we clean our clothes when they get dirty. How many of you, when you run around in the mud, expect to get dirty? Well, your answer is, duh, that's what happens. The concept here is very simple. It's easier to get dirty than it is to stay clean. Which, of course, if you remember Charles Schultz and Peanuts and uh, what's his name, Pigpen, he had a problem with that because dirt was attracted to him. Am I doing that noise? I am. I don't know what I'm doing. Right? Okay. Uh, Where was I? Dirty Pigpen, yes. Okay. Uh, In the same way, uh, if, if you have a barrel of nice, fresh apples, and you drop a rotten, smelly apple in there, what's going to happen? It's all going to get all over the place and it's going to get messy because that one little bad thing is going to get in there and defile it all. The principle that God is trying to get them to see is there needs to be a purity in motive. So even though you may have this nice, fresh barrel of apples that are good to eat, there's something, if there's... If there's a bit of defilement, it'll ruin the whole barrel. So in other words, as long as that's not Jesus coming back, I guess that's all right. <laughs> okay, if it happened again, I may just switch to this, okay, because I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe it's just my magnetic policy, my magnetic personality is throwing all the waves off. <sighs> okay, where were we again? bad apples okay oh yes yes all right motives so what is okay it is still doing that i'm sorry so what the lord is trying to communicate through haggai is hey listen up yes you are doing a good work but 
in the midst of doing it, you're doing it with a bad motive. And because of that, even though you think that it is a magic charm, it doesn't work that way. I think I told you last week I was watching uh, that televangelist and as they were they were sharing about if you give us money, if you give us $77, we, we almost like guarantee God is going to give you $777 because that's the way God is going to bless you. And this is your year of the Lord's blessing upon your life if you'll give to our ministry. Now, I'm not stupid, and I don't think any of you are, but if I heard that, I'm thinking that would be a great return of money. And so there are people out there not realizing that this is a little bit iffy of an enterprise, but are thinking, wow, if I just give God this, I will get this back, and even better. And what God would say is, if you give that kind of offering, it's defiled. So even if you gave $777 million to help needy people, in my eyes, it doesn't go over well because your motive is not to honor me or to serve me, but it's to get something from me. And so what's happened here as they're rebuilding the temple is that their motives have gotten a little bit mixed up and their expectation is if we serve God and do this holy work, God must bless us. Not realizing God wants to bless them, but their attitude is what needs to be pure. So what you have here is this contamination that begins to work in the lives of these people and they don't even realize it. And I think that's probably true today. I think most of us, if not all of us, have some expectations that God will bless us if we do the things that we do. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, my expectation has always been that God will protect my family. My expectation is that God will always protect my house. And like I told you, if something goes wrong in my house or something goes wrong with my car, I get mad at God because my expectation is I'm doing your work. You should bless me. My car should last 30 years. I should be able to get five to 6,000 miles between oil changes, 50,000 miles between transmission oil changes. You know what I mean? There's that expectation that I have because I'm doing what God has called me to do. So in turn, he should bless me. Well, the difficult thing about life is that it doesn't work that way. There are today Christians who still get cancer. There are Christian pastors who get cancer. There are missionaries who go overseas and are killed while they are serving God. There are people all over the United States, all over the world that are trying to serve God. And just because you serve God, it does not mean that life is easy and will be full of blessing. In fact, there are many of us, and hopefully all of us in some way in returning back to God, must realize that there are always consequences that still hang on from our past. And even though they're there, God's assurance is there is forgiveness. <coughs> there is forgiveness and there is grace and we need to keep moving on, but to check our heart motives. So what I think that Haggai is speaking as to what God wants the people to understand is, as you keep doing this work, do it with pure motives. In the same way he would say to us, as a church, as we seek to serve God and do what is right in God's eyes, don't be here in order to get something from God, but do it just to give. 
And it's not to say that God is stingy and doesn't want to give, which seems to be the point that they're missing, but their motives have become twisted. How do we correct that? I think that's corrected then in verses 15 and following. Here's what, <coughs> here's what the Lord said. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, they were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. You see, what God is saying here is, listen, don't forget what your life was like before you return to the Lord. Don't forget what your life was like before you return to the Lord. What he's basically saying is, listen, you don't see the great blessings that I have promised just yet. You see the consequences of what's gone wrong. These are things that I purposefully did in your lives because I wanted to bring you back. And as we've mentioned, sometimes <coughs> God brings pain into our lives in order with a purpose to bring us back to him. If you were to read Hosea chapter 6, you'd see the same thing. It says that God tears us like a lion in order to heal us. And the imagery is, if you get in the jaws of a lion, they just rip you to bits. And really, God has ripped them to bits, not so that he can say, Ha! I have taught you a lesson, but so that they could see their need for God, and then they would come to God and return to him and be healed. And so what Haggai here is saying in God's steed is this. Remember what it was like. Economically, life was difficult. You put a lot of time. You put a lot of effort. You put a lot of energy into having all these good things of life. And you would make $20, but it would only be worth $10. You'd buy $50 of wine, but it really should have only been $20 of wine. In other words, economically, things did not go well for you. And it's not just the physical things that would be a problem. Because if you've ever been in a situation where you're putting all this time and energy and effort into something and you're not seeing the fruit of it, it's also very emotionally discouraging and ultimately spiritually discouraging. So God is saying, listen, look at your motives. You think rebuilding the temple, which I have told you to do and you're doing it, but you think just rebuilding the temple is a lucky charm. It's not. And you think that just because you have returned and begun to return, that you're not going to face the consequences of the things that you've done wrong. And some miracle is going to happen and everything is going to be fine right now. It's not. Following God, even returning to God, can be a very long and hard and difficult process. I don't know how many revivals you've had in your life, but if you can begin to think through some of those issues, you kind of get to a place where you come back to God and yet you're still struggling with some of those old things and the pull of old things that are in your life. For instance, every once in a while, I still like to, uh, I, I should say I get tempted, uh, and I know that sounds really weird and this is going to get strange, but sometimes I get tempted to listen to, like, uh, and I don't, if, if you know this station, but the Jack 104.3 or whatever it is, who knows, okay, who knows that what that is? Shame on all. <laughs> or the drive, 
You know, because it's that 70s, 80s music that I like and like to go back to. And there's that pull because you think, oh, life was so much easier and it was so much fun. And you know why it was so much easier back then? Because I didn't have a family, I didn't have a mortgage, and I didn't have a job. And all I had to worry about was getting through school. Hello? But the idea, though... The idea is this. We, we have a tendency to think that all of that's going to be erased. But as we return to the Lord, and even as you live out your Christian life, there are things that hang on and don't want to let go. And these people aren't willing to let go of these things and understanding that there's still that struggle, that process, because their figuring is, if I just come back to the Lord right now, everything will be fine. And God is trying to set them straight. No, it's not like that. It is not like that at all. There's process and there's crisis. We need crisis. These people experienced crisis. Everything was going wrong for them. They were working hard and getting nowhere. And now that they're returning, their expectations are, God, we've returned and so you owe us something. You should give us something. You should bless us in some way, shape or form. That, in a way, is how children act. Right? I know with, I should say my children act. Maybe those of you, your children are good kids and they don't act that way. But mind you, when they do something well, there's an expectation of, okay, let's go to the Lego store because we were good kids this week and we should thus get something. But here what God is saying is, listen, remember what your life was like before you returned. It was frustrating. Many of us think if I could just experience that the, it was so freeing to sin. Does that make sense? I mean, don't, don't shake your heads because then I'll be wondering who, you know, what issues you have. But in, in some ways, if we're honest, it's so freeing to sin. It's wrong. Please don't leave here. Wouldn't it be funny if the only thing that got edited was uh, when I said it was wrong and the people got the sermon and, well, this wouldn't be funny. But anyway, it's the pressure is gone. Think about it. You, you, as a Christian, you're trying to follow God. God is not coming through with the blessings that you're expecting. It's difficult. It's hard. It's a struggle. Sometimes you're asked to do things that are just beyond you in the sense of forgive someone or to hang on and do something that you know you should do and you just can't seem to get there. And it's freeing to just throw it all in the trash and say, I'm done. And you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have ever felt that way? How many of you have come to a place in following Christ where you just say, it's not worth it. I would like to be free of the burden of trying to please God and just sin and do whatever. I think many of us come to that place after returning. And what Haggai would say, as the Lord has told him, is remember what it was like. Because you were miserable then. Why did you come to Christ? Because you realized that that life was miserable. It wasn't going to get you anywhere. And so instead of complaining or having impure motives, realize that life is no good. It may seem like it is green grass, but when you get over there, you're going to find out that it's astroturf. Does that make sense? Because isn't it true that grass is always greener on the other side? But then when you get over there, it is astroturf. It is not freeing to sin. It is actually binding. And so what God is trying to remind them is this. Your motives need to be pure. Stop thinking of 
you know, the temple work as a lucky charm. Stop forgetting that there are consequences to your sin and realize what that life was like in the past and give it up. Put it away. Be done with it. Because there is no freedom in going back to sin. And what was the problem with the uh, Israelites as they wandered through the desert? What did they want to do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. It's hard following God. It's difficult. Well, it took them 40 years. And they could complain that it took them 40 years, but it was their fault because they wanted to go back to Egypt. They always wanted to go back to Egypt. They needed to pull that out of their hearts. And now Haggai, speaking for the Lord, is saying, Listen, you still have that wandering in the past, thinking times were good heart, and you need to get rid of it. But he doesn't leave them there by just saying, get rid of the past and remember what it was like. But he also tells them to trust God that he will take care of them and fulfill his promises. Verse 18, from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when you laid the foundation of the Lord's temple. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. In other words, God lets them see the facts. God's not in heaven going, oh, I didn't know the harvest was good. Oh, you guys are complaining because the harvest wasn't good. I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. What God is saying is this, I understand that the harvest was not good. And as I've explained to you, it's not good because of the consequences of the things that you've done wrong. And a harvest isn't going to turn around that fast. So please understand this. From this day forward, in which they're now on this day planting seed for a future harvest, I will bless you. Now what assurance do these people have that God will bless them? From our perspective, none. Because the seed is in the ground and they have no idea what could happen in the future. But I think this is a moment of grace. It's a moment of grace because God is making a promise and saying this. You have no reason to trust me other than based on what I have done in the past. In a strange way, it's nice to have a future hope, but we don't fully know what the future holds for us. But God would say you could trust me because of what has gone on in the past. You have seen over and over and over again how I have blessed my people who will follow me. And you have seen over and over again how my people have walked away from me. But when they have returned to me, I have blessed them. So the promise of God is a promise that he will fulfill a future for them. He will bless them from this day forward. So he's giving them a sense of expectation that there's something that they can look forward to. Now, Terry, you're a lawn guy, right? Do you have any dandelions on your lawn? You do? Really? Oh, man. Okay, never mind. When we first moved into our house, <laughs> sorry, I was going to promote your skills, but it's the neighbor's fault, right? Because the neighbors have dandelions and they don't take care of it and it blows over. Which was when we moved into our house, I don't know if I've told you this story, but when we moved into our house about 12 years ago, <clears throat> It was just before the dandelion scenes, dandelion season. So uh, as we're getting into the house, we're getting settled, and we noticed that our grass was a little more yellow than green. So me, as smart as I am, first-time homeowner, I decided to go out and pick these 3,000 dandelions. And I did. It took me all day. 
A couple days later, it rained. You can only imagine what happened a few days after that, right? Most of the yellow came back. Now, it wouldn't have been too bad except for my neighbor next to me who, who didn't take care of her lawn at all had the same yellow. Really, nothing much was going to happen. So what I needed to do was I needed to be proactive. So I bought some of the um, uh, dandelion killer stuff. And I not only sprayed my stuff, mine, but I also sprayed hers. Because I realized if she doesn't do it, and she wasn't going to because she had more yellow than I did, that if I didn't do it, I would never get rid of the dandelion problem. Here's the thing that I want you to see. When the next year came, my grass was not completely green. It was less yellow. And what I mean by that is all that stuff is just sitting there underneath. It's still there and it takes time and it takes years. So that now if you come and you drove by my house, you would see more green than yellow. You would see very little yellow, in fact. And you would see the same thing at my neighbor's because there's a new guy living there and he takes care of his lawn better than I do. But it takes time for all of that stuff to be worked out of the system. Make sense? True? That's the idea here. What God is saying is, listen, you have had a bad 14-year cycle. That's a long time to be away from God. And to expect that now, in four months, God's going to make everything wonderful so that you can live a nice, wonderful life and go back to living in luxury, you've made a mistake. I want you to know I'm going to bless you. I want you to know that I'm going to take care of you. I want you to know that I'm going to meet your needs. But you must understand that it is a continual walk with God. A returning and a returning and a returning process and crisis to get you to that place where for most, if not the rest of your life, you continue to walk with God with the assurance that God will bless them. Now, we don't know what happens with the crop the next year, but my guess is as they finished the temple that God blessed them because they were doing the work and they were doing that work with the right motives. That's why it's easy to serve God. It's easy to do the things that God has asked you to do, but it's difficult because if you have to get to a place where your motives are pure, it's very hard, isn't it? Have you ever been at, at, if you ever done something for God and served Him in such a way that afterwards you felt really good about it and like, wow, that was great. And then you started to think about some of your motives and it was messed up. I'm not saying that don't serve God because it's so difficult. What I am saying is this, continue to let God look at your motives because here, what is He doing? Several times He's saying what? Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. And I think that's some of the, one of the biggest message of Haggai is consider your ways. Think about not only what you're doing, but also why you're doing it. And that's a challenge for us as a church. Because God is saying, make your number one thing. Make the main thing the main thing, knowing God and making Him known. But while you're doing that, do it with the right heart because it's easy to get the wrong heart and defile everything that you're trying to do. Wouldn't that be kind of frustrating to work hard in pastoral ministry for 50 years of your life and then stand before God and he says you did it because you wanted to hear what people would say about you? That scares me because I know that when I die, I want to have a long old funeral. Not a long funeral service. 
But I want to have like 3,000 cars of people just driving through the cemetery. The place packed with people saying, oh, he touched my life. Oh, that was wonderful. And that would be cool to hear. But then if you stand before God and God says, that's all you were looking for, would ruin it all. That would be very discouraging. Why does God tell these people to deal with their motives? Because God wants to bless them. God wants to bless them. Why is God speaking to them? Because God wants to bless them. You see, but the key here is this. He doesn't say return to rebuilding the temple. He says, I did these things because you didn't return to me. God didn't want to bring them into the promised land to say, here's the promised land. Here's a land flowing with milk and honey. Follow me and I will bring you into luxury. Kind of rhymes. Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, huh? (laughs) Sorry. Well, luxury, me, rhymes. You didn't like the rhyme? Okay, forget it. The idea is our returning is to God. The blessing ultimately is not the things that God gives us, but it's God. And, and that's the struggle for all of us because our expectations is that our expectations are that blessing means good things. And it gets a little warped because when you have someone come up here and they give a testimony and they tell you, I was once at a mission service and I had only $25 in my wallet and I didn't, I wanted to get this thing that I really need, felt I needed to get, but I gave the $25 every way as an act of faith. And what do you know? When I went home, there's somebody mailed me this gift. And we think when we hear that story is that's how God works. Because if I do these things, God will turn around and bless me. So I'm going to do these things because I want to get blessed. Not realizing that the blessing is not the thing, but the person behind the thing. It's not the gift, but it is the giver of the gift. And so these people were expecting gifts. And once again, their work was defiled because they missed the fact of why God brought these difficult situations in their life. Because God wanted them to come back to him. Once again, it's not simply about the temple, but what the temple represents, relationship with God. That's the struggle. And so my encouragement, my challenge as we're finishing up on Haggai next week is this. Why should you return to God? Why should you return to God? Because if you haven't returned to God, the life that you're living might seem like it's freeing. But actually, it's binding you. You may not see it now, but you'll see it. And when you look back, you will think how stupid and foolish I was to continue along this path. The call then is to return because life, true life, the source of life is God. He brings us into the promised land so that we might enjoy life with him, that we might experience life with him. So that even like Job, when he could say, even though he slay me, I trust my redeemer lives. How could he say that? Here's a man who has lost everything, who is disease ridden, perhaps on the verge of death in a sense, which he might not see, but we see in hindsight. And he says, but I still have God. And the cool thing about it is God in the end says, Job, I am pleased with you because when I took away all the gifts, 
You still trusted the giver. You still walked with me. Yes, you had complaints. Yes, you had doubts. Yes, you had struggles. But your seeking was for me. And then God turns around and blesses them. Now, that does not mean that it happens to everybody because I'm sure when Peter hung on the cross upside down, he wasn't screaming out, See, Jesus, I'm all right. Take me down. Because there's a part of following Jesus that deals with that cross. The ultimate blessing is what Paul would say is, whether I live or die, I have Christ. Where does Paul say that? Paul says it from prison. The challenge for us in serving God, in simply serving God, is serving God through pure motives. To serve God because we love God. And even if God gave us nothing, which is not what's going to happen, but even if he gave nothing, we could still say, I have Jesus and that's enough. That's the place that God wanted to bring these people to, where they would say, we have God and that's enough. Will it be rough? Yes. Will it be difficult? Yes. But we have God and that's worth it. Let's pray.